0: This time I'm going to step out of the way, and I'm going to turn this over to Brother Goff, and Brother Goff preach to us. Lord, looking forward to hearing what you've got to say to us this morning. I love this man, and his family. I'll I'll give I'll give him the family. (laughs) You guys are awesome. Sure appreciate all that you do for us, all that you do in the church. Constantly working. I want you to know it doesn't go unnoticed, but brother, we love you, that you come and minister to us here this morning. Amen. Thank you, brother Nelson. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord, everybody. Good to be in God's house and to feel his wonderful presence. Amen. This morning, I appreciate the labors of our wonderful usher this morning, helping us out. Amen. Amen. It is a privilege to be able to come and bring the Word of God this morning. And um, this beautiful Sunday morning, as Brother Nelson has already said, God has blessed us with a great day. Amen. It is a great day to be alive. Know who your Creator is. Know who is in full control of everything. Amen. I appreciate the opportunity, amen, to be in the truth and know who He is. Be able to magnify Him with like, precious people that know who He is and worship God. Amen. I appreciate the power of truth this morning. Every song we sing goes with what we're going to be talking about this morning. And I appreciate knowing and experiencing the truth and the strength that only God can bring. Amen. I have two passages of Scripture that I would like to read this morning. They are all familiar I'm sure that they could probably be quoted, and on the second one, I'll have you read it with me. You've probably prayed it, probably read it many, many times, amen. In Isaiah chapter 40, in verse 31, it says, "...but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength, they shall mount up with wings as eagles, they shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint." If you will turn to the 23rd Psalm, we'll read verses 1 through 6 together as a congregation. I'd like for us to read it through, and nobody start racehorsing this just because you know the verses of Scripture. Let's do this as one now. I don't care how much coffee or Red Bull you had this morning. We'll be start reading in verse 1, and it says a Psalm of David. We'll start right here. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Can we lay our Bibles down asking God to help us this morning? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this precious gift, this gift of life, God. We thank you for this opportunity. You've allowed us to come together God, I thank you for your presence that I feel even reading your holy scriptures. God, you are with us even in this very moment, and I thank you for it, Master. You have prepared this place for us today, and I thank you for it, Master. You are a true God, the only true God, and I thank you for it, Holy Savior. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. You may be seated. Hallelujah, I apologize, I will be having to take many drinks, my allergies, whom I thought I was going to evade this spring, have come in with a vengeance, they have let me know that not so, and I apologize if I even have to grab a throat lozenge or something to get me through, But I apologize, but that may be what it takes, Amen. It almost feels a little lopsided here. I feel like I'm the last kid to be picked on uh, kickball or dodgeball or we can fix that. We'll get a little closer. I like being down where everybody's at. You guys don't understand being someone that's tall and ugly and goofy as I am. You don't understand the 43 years that I've been plagued with because if I'm standing up with somebody, it seems like the speaker's eyes always lock with mine. Because my voice seems to carry more than others, anytime I want to say something, I can't be discreet. It seems like Sister Golf's like, shh, they can hear you. And I'm like, I can't hear me. How can they hear me? I don't know. Maybe that's just the continual ringing in my ears that blots out my very own voice. And so I like being on the floor. I like being where people are close to me and I can be among God's wonderful people. I will start today, we're going to be talking about a lesson, and the title of it is Strength in New Beginnings. And we read very, very familiar verses of Scripture. And I so need the help of the Lord this morning. I believe God has laid this on my heart weeks and weeks ago and has continued to allow this word to mature and grow in my heart. It seems like that's all I can think about until I can get it off of my shoulders. But I wanted to preface where we're going today with a few um, minor comments, if I can. And I want to reference about permission or approval. And a simple yes may seem like it requires so little effort to give, but yet that impact of a yes can be eternal. A yes just by that that signification, that simple three-letter word It's something that can give, something that opens a door, it closes a door, it sets a direction. As a parent, we are afforded many, yea, multiple, countless times to where we're offered the opportunity to say yes or no. It seems like the questions um, never end. And as you have five children, as Sister Goff and I have, it seems like that's the only words that I was able to utter yes or no. And then it starts at a young age where, you know, it seems like a child is reaching for things, and you're saying, no, 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 don't touch that. Seems like the no's outweigh the yes. And as that child matures, they begin to formulate their own opinions and thoughts and understand the structure of life around them, and they begin to test things and no's and become less frequent as they begin to try the right doors. And then the yes and the nod and the acknowledgement of, yes, you're going the right direction. I was thinking the same thing. You're right, you've observed people in the church doing this. You've observed your pastor and first lady doing this. You've observed your parent, yes, that's the right direction. And the no's become less frequent. However, the yeses seem to have more Profound impact on the life. They set the direction. A simple thing, and I remember hearing this when I was probably seven years old. I was writing, spent the day with someone that I was growing up with at church on a Sunday afternoon. We spent the day together. His father was in the military, and we had left and had dinner with him after or lunch after service. And they said, Hey, come over to our house. And they ran by Walmart. And out in front of Walmart was a man with free puppies. And this young man says, Dad, can we have a puppy? He says, no, son, we can't. He says, but, Dad, they're free. And every parent was like, I didn't realize it at the time. But this father broke it down to his son and myself, and it stuck as a lesson. The lesson was so profound that I can't even tell you his name or his father's name. I can't tell you their last name. But the lesson was, son, nothing is ever free it always has a cost. It always has something. He began to break down and said, son, who's going to pay for that dog food? Who is going to take it to the vet? Who is going to pay for all the shots? Who's going to maintain that dog? Even though it is something that, you know, people treat them like they're children. Uh, but I'm telling you, they all have a cost that associates with it. And from a parent's point of view, reasoning begins to trigger in your mind. You understand, listen, who's going to take that dog out at night? Who's going to potty train that dog? Who's going to clean up its messes? Who's going to clean up its messes when it's vomiting all over the floor? It's not going to be the little junior that's going to go, no, dad, you stay where you're at. No, mom, I'm going to take care of this. They're going to be sitting there with their nose plugged screaming and making noise in the background, and they're going to be chiding their siblings on, and it's just never-ending, but while there's a parent down there cleaning up a mess. A yes can have a significant impact. It carries an immense amount of responsibility. And as a child, all you can see is your parents are holding you back from having something that is so precious to you, why can't you just say yes? But it has a significant impact. Yes seems so easy, just like getting married, Brother Andrew and Sister Haley. When the vows are given and you say, yes, I do, it has an eternal impact. Every married couple was faced with the very same question. And it means more than the words of till death do us part. It means through every valley, through every mountain, through every attitude, through whatever comes against you, that yes is very, very important. But as an adult, we transition from those yes and no's sometimes to where when life isn't going that well, the thing that sticks in our mind is if only, if only. Many times, I've used this reference before because it's at our exit, you drive past the lottery billboard, and so many people say, if only, if only. Many people whose lives are plagued with mistakes, they look at their life and they say, if only I could do this over again. There are no do-overs. You have to live with the graded paper in front of you. And guess what? It's not something you can hide. It's a grade that everybody observes. But here's the thing about the church, the beautiful thing about the church, is we help each other get a better grade. We help each other be strong. We encourage each other. We strengthen each other in prayer. We see them down. We encourage them. You don't have to do it over because we serve a God that gives us the very new beginning that He's promised each and every one of us. You may say, if only my job was different, my life would be different. I wish I had never. If only. If only I made more money. If only I could start over again. You see, God has a way of maturing us by his method of communicating with us. God has a way of maturing us by his method of communicating with us. God wants to have a relationship with each and every one of us in this house this morning. But something that we must never do in our prayers, we're often seeking for answers from God. Don't minimize the significance of His approval by focusing only upon the effort of saying yes. Because what is approved changes the direction of you, And your family, and your family's family, your church family, and as a family of size that we have, if I'm walking through somewhere, I know that there are children in my family are walking beside me, in front of me, behind me, and if I'm in the front where I go, they go. And I have to be very careful of what I say yes to in my life. My yeses and noes have a trickle-down effect into every one of my children and into their children. So we have to be careful that we don't just minimize, well, you know, I think I know what God would say, and this just feels right, and it's the right thing to do, and so I think yes is the correct response. We have to be willing to wait for God. We have to be willing for, to wait for God to speak to us. I had a man... Just this week, reach out to me and say, Brother Goff, going through some things, how do you know when God speaks to you? It seems like I can't feel him. It seems like I don't know which way to go. I'm battling all these things in life. But it seems like everywhere I turn, I'm hearing God speak to me. And so I did and and basically gave the words that I have learned from this pulpit of God telling us how he would speak to us through his word, and begin to share that. But we have to learn. The the most important thing about listening for the voice of God, it'll grow stronger as you become more obedient. It becomes more uh, discernible as you become more obedient. And sometimes we stick with the yeses and nos, but God wants to have that full conversation with us Through his word, through his man of God, in the ways that he wants to speak. But one thing that I told this man, I said, listen, the voice will sound very similar to that of your pastor. In that, the instruction will will sound very familiar. Your man of God is not going to tell you something other than what God wants to do in your life. They're not going to contradict themselves. And if you don't have the voice of your pastor in your life, you're not going to hear the voice of God. You're going to struggle with this area. But there's a difference between doing nothing and God telling you to wait. Let me say that again. There is a difference between doing nothing and God telling you to wait. Now, some of you may be thinking to the verse of Scripture we read from Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 31 And said, God tells me the weight and he'll strengthen me and he does, but it depends on your definition of weight. That's what this all hinges upon. What is your definition of weight? The easy version of weight is to do nothing and expect a different outcome. We all know what people say about that. The biblical version of weight has more to it. Let's read the passage of scripture again, and we'll go through Isaiah chapter 40. In verse 31, it says, But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. The passage of Scripture is meaningful to many because of its direct connection to our ability to wait. Waiting on the Lord. We see the benefit at the end of this passage of Scripture the lord shall renew their strength they shall mount up with wings as eagles they shall run and not be weary and they shall walk and not faint they we see us the reason this scripture resonates so much it's because but they that wait upon the lord that's key for this verse of scripture that's why this scripture is so often quoted is because it involves us but it depends upon how you wait you see Wait on the Lord, the Hebrew term, kavah, in Strong's it defines it as to bind together, to expect, to gather together, to look patiently. You see, waiting is adding hope and expectation together with the anticipation that by faith God will deliver you. It doesn't say wait and have a pity party. That's not waiting. Waiting and understanding with full hope and expectation, he's going to be right here. Right here. God is going to show up on the scene and he's going to take care of me. That is the promise. When you're going through your deepest, darkest situation, the Word of God comes and makes this profound statement, if you'll wait. It doesn't say you have to be so strong and you have to be so fit and young and But if you read the very first, the the scripture prior to it, it says, it talks about this very same thing. It, It mentions it. It says, even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. It's not about your stature. It's about your ability to wait. Wait and trust God. Don't get a bad attitude. Don't get bitter. Wait for God's promise to come to pass. Don't get so confused with your ability to wait that you miss out on God's ability to save. Because that's what it's all about. Stop making it about you and make it about Him. And I'm not trying to diminish this passage of Scripture. It's powerful. This will be a strength to us, and that's what it's meant to be. But I'm going to show you that there's so much more in this passage, not by such great revelation, but let's just take a step back and look at this passage and see what it has to tell us. Let's look at the context. In the last 29 chapters of Isaiah, these verses of Scripture are messianic. They're passages that talk about the coming of the Messiah, the reoccurring main subject Is Jesus Christ so before we follow along with mainstream Christianity and swoop you up on the back of an eagle and put it on a glossy image and emboss Isaiah 40 and 31 and put it in a frame and hang it on your wall next to all of the success inspirational posters of icebergs and penguins and teamwork and why don't you see what the Bible has to say about what he's expecting from Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 31. It's not an inspiration. It's a promise. But we have to look to see what the passages are all about. For 22 verses of Scripture leading up to chapter, uh, in, in Isaiah chapter 40 and 31, the prophet Isaiah writes poetically about the power of God. Right before that, He introduces the promise promise through a poetic form, the coming Messiah. But we have to understand the power of this passage and the key to it. In Psalms chapter 25 and verse 5, Lead me in thy truth and teach me, for thou art the God of my salvation. On thee do I wait all the day. If he's not your Savior, you're waiting on the wrong thing. He has to be your all and all. You have to be 100% sold out to Jesus Christ before that wait means anything. You have to be willing to sacrifice your life and say, God, take everything that I have. If you haven't surrendered, you're going to be waiting on your own ability Because this verse of Scripture is talking about the power of God and the promise that He's going to come and take care of you. It's all about His ability, and you have to be able to trust in His ability versus your own ability to wait. It's not us. It's all about Him. But lead me in thy truth. And teach me. When I read this verse of Scripture, it wasn't just the wait at the end that caught my eye and study. This is active waiting. Lead me in truth. That means I am actively following after God. And teach me. That means I am engaged in the lesson. That means, God, when you want to rescue me, when I can pass it with 100%, good job, well done, you will be there to help me. But you have to be willing to be led and taught. Jesus Christ is our salvation. And Isaiah prophesied about his coming. But on this side of history, what we celebrate is the death, burial, and resurrection. You see, the prophet Isaiah was sitting there on the other side pinning about when Jesus would come, the Messiah would come, and he begins to write these words. But we have the benefit of standing as recipients of the arrival, the death, burial, and resurrection. We see a broader picture. But even at the very beginning of the prophecies, it's you have to trust in his ability. You see, that very same commandment is true today. Just because we have God's Spirit in us, or if you don't today, by the end of this, I will show you that God wants you to have His ability to trust in Him and to, and to wait for Him to take care of us. Just because we have that does not diminish the ability or the commandment that the prophet Isaiah said in chapter 40 in verse 31. For so many years, a nation waited for his coming, but we live for his second coming. Because if you're not, you won't be ready. We live for his second coming. As a result, we find that something new happens. And in the second part of this verse of Scripture, in Isaiah 40 and 31, it says, they shall renew their strength. The renew part of that scripture, it means to change. It means to change. Strong provides, Strong's provides a definition to hasten away, to pass on, to spring up, pierce or change, abolish, alter change, cut off to renew, sprout, strike through, to grow up, to be over, to pass on and through. Let me break it down for you this way. Your active faith that God will take care of you connects you to all of his power. If you don't have faith in God, you do not have access to his ability to take care of you. From that active faith, God will take care of you and deliver you from that trial in your life and bring something new and beautiful in your life. It all ties back to Jesus Christ. And as I mentioned before, this passage of Scripture is poetic and flows without interruption. Guess what that means? That means there's verses of Scripture that are in concert with this very verse of Scripture in 40 and 31. If we turn to the next verse of Scripture... uh, chapter and read in Isaiah chapter 41, we'll read several verses of Scripture that I thought were very powerful. It says in verse 13, for I am the Lord thy God, for I the Lord thy God will hold thy right hand, saying unto thee, fear not, I will help thee. Fear not, thou worm Jacob, and ye men of Israel, I will help thee, saith the Lord, and thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. But it goes on to say in verse 15, Behold, I will make thee a new sharp threshing instrument having teeth. Thou shalt thresh the mountains, and beat them small, and shalt make the hills as chaff. You see, God will give the strength that we need. When we look at this passage of Scripture, we, we always hear about, Jesus Christ sitting at the right hand of God and knowing that God is a spirit, understanding that this is representative of power, when God tells us that he's going to grab a hold of our right hand, that means his strength is going to help us overcome whatever's coming against us in our life. It is his strength. Have you ever had an instance where you're trying to push something up or over or trying to lift something? and you feel someone else come in next to you, and then you're able to push it over. We have things that are printed on them, two-man lift, team lift, You know, make sure you lift with your knees or your legs and not your back. And we have these instructions, but we have the very same instructions in life from the Word of God. You can't do it on your own. You have to trust in Him. You have to allow Him to reach over and grab a hold of your hand and give you the strength And the strength comes through you, and guess what? He says, I will make thee a new sharp threshing instrument, having teeth. That means you will be effective in the kingdom of God. You'll be effective in whatever trial you're going through. Now, reading through this passage of Scripture, the prophet Isaiah, talking about those and having kingdoms come against you and saying that I'll make those hills and you'll be able to knock them down and turn them into chaff, meaning that you will be able to turn them into powder under your feet. God will be that strength when you allow him to make you that new thing. With teeth, it's talking about that serrated edge. That means you're not going to have to sit there and hack and hack and hack to make progress. But something that has that serrated edge, all it takes is that right touch, and it pushes through, and it just cuts with every stroke. God will make you effective. If you can't defeat what is plaguing you in your life, the answer is Jesus Christ. He will be that new strength that will give you victory over your past, present, and give you a new future. He is the one that holds all things new and fresh, and it's fulfilling, and it means something. But we have this also this additional opportunity. As we talked about with the yes, we also talked about on the no side as we started this morning in this lesson. We have the opportunity to do nothing, In Proverbs, the Bible speaks of someone that refuses to do anything. Even though capabilities exist, they exist on doing nothing. In Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 6, it says, Go to the ant, thou sluggard, consider her ways, and be wise. You see, the the ant is pointed out as a source of inspiration and direction. The ant is resourceful. You can read about it in the following verses of Scripture. Having no overseer or guide, they began to store their food, even in an intelligent manner. They pick up the grain, and they will bite the end off of it and store it so it will not germinate underground and destroy their food storage. Intelligent design. God made them that way. It makes you wonder if God would not use it as a very simple lesson like he did in Scripture. Because we all feel so powerful when we see an ant being so busy about its job. And we see it on the wall of the house, and you kill it and say, what is that ant doing in here? It's trying to be resourceful. It's trying to find that candied M&M that you laid on the ground and didn't pick up. That jolly rancher on the sidewalk that they seem to just love. And you would look down at something so small, but in his scriptures, it gives you such a profound lesson. Don't be lazy. You must be about the Father's business. He points out the thing that is so insignificant that we have to stop and look for it. But it's the very same thing you have to do in your own life. Trusting in him, sometimes it's not as easy as what the scripture says. You have to stop and look for it. You have to find that place. And as our vehicles evolve, and we get vehicles that can keep us in our lanes with lane keep assist. We have vehicles that have collision avoidance, prevent us from running into the back of another vehicle. We have vehicles that have adaptive cruise control and autopilot and blue cruise and all these things, and you are just someone who's observing what's going on around you, you can do the very same thing sitting on a church pew. Just church cruising. Come in, ride through, go out. And you went from point A to point B. God wants you to find that inspiration in those small things that are easy to overlook, God's trying to teach you a lesson about waiting. And it's in those waitings, those periods of waiting, that we those words that may come out of our mouth like, I'm so weary, I'm so tired, I'm so... Can God just reach down in this situation and fix it? Here's the problem. You're just asking for yes. You're not learning how to wait. I'm not speaking, looking down my nose at anybody. I live this in my life. Waiting, it seems like, God, you're teaching me a lesson. Help me pass the lesson. Help me pass whatever you want in my life. Help me see what you're trying to do in my life. Because at 43 years old, I look and I see retirement on the horizon. And that is not the time for me to say, all right, now God can use me. Now I can clear my mind. We get this way in life sometimes. We feel the pressures of life coming down upon our mind, the stress. It seems like everything is trying to push through our ears, and and it's just I can't take any more. And we sit there and say, if I could only just shut the door and take a step forward and never have to think about what my job requires of me, the relationships in my life, whether good or bad, require of me, the people around, if I could just... Go a different direction. And you see daddies that do that. Wave goodbye, go out the door, and never show back up. Mama and children sitting at home saying, the food's getting cold, mama, can we eat? Daddy never shows up. He's just done. Saints, you can do the very same thing. I just feel like so much is upon me. The pressures of life is so much. The Word of God is challenging me. I can only do so many things. And you just like, if I could only just shut the door and walk away. I know what that feels like. I know exactly what it feels like. I'll say a few things because it goes out on the Internet. I'll pause here. we walk into Jimmy John's, he was meeting me there, and he said, are you excited about your new job? And I said, I can't talk about it right now. The person to your right is the second man in charge, and he recognizes my face. I ain't saying a word. He says, I got it. Let's go eat a sandwich. I know exactly what it feels like to feel like you have this trail of things behind you, of things that press upon the mind that feels like it weighs upon you. And people are asking of, hey, what happened back in 2012? Beats me, but I save everything, I'll get back with you. What was this contract about? Why did we sign this? How come this wasn't in? you're like, I'll get you an answer. It weighs upon you. Mentally, you feel like I can't do anymore. And then God expects you to walk into the house of God And be happy. You have to learn how to wait. When the man of God steps up and says, this is going to happen in your life, you have to learn how to wait. When God says there's a promise in your life, I'm trying to mature, you have to learn how to wait. And it's not the wait about the do nothing. You know with a man that does this all day, you know what he does when he goes home? He unwinds. You can't be a do-nothing. You can't be that in church, out of church. But all of this comes together. And when you try to separate your strength doing your physical things that are outside the church with the spiritual things, and you try to draw from different resources, you're confused. You can't do it. You can't make it happen. So I step in to tomorrow. It's a brand new day. God, you have it under control. I've had people come every week and say, Douglas, I can go talk to this person and I can change the situation. Douglas, I can go do this. Every week since April 14th, they come in. Sometimes multiple times. They'll call me. Hey, I know this person. I can make this different. And I've taken the approach of saying, you know what? If you had talked to the Douglas Older than five years ago, we've been having lunch and talking about our strategy and our plan. But I said, Don't worry about it. I'm accepting God's plan. I am learning how to wait. Instead of my playbook, I get out his playbook. Instead of my strategy, I turn it over and say, God, it's all in your hands. It's a new beginning. You have to be willing to wait. So I'm not preaching something that I'm not living in this very moment today. God wants us to learn how to wait. But doing nothing is a detriment to your soul. In Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 12, It says that you be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Romans chapter 12 and verse 11. Be not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. The apostle Paul just mic dropped on him. Like, listen, your problems, you need to live according to the Word of God. Just because you have an excuse to do nothing doesn't mean you should, because that will affect you spiritually as well. And if you can't do it spiritually, it's going to affect you physically as well. When you try to decide which side I'm going to give my all to, instead of just saying, God, it's in your hands, I'm giving you everything. God will open doors, He'll close doors, He'll say yes, He'll say no, He'll give you instruction, He'll bless. If you're willing to wait and accept the new things that God is wanting to do for you. Just a few verses of Scripture below will be read in Proverbs chapter 6. I won't read it, I'll just reference it. But when it starts talking about the ant... And it talks about the sluggard, those that slow to respond, don't want to do anything. People that, are po- that face a decision and choose to do nothing with it. Just a few verses below that, there's a passage of Scripture that is very strong. Very strongly worded. It says this, these six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven Are an abomination. Right before that, he's talking about an ant putting grain in the ground and being busy. And he says, look to the ant. If you can't get the small things right, you'll end up on God's hit list of seven things. Because God wants to do something powerful in your life. It's about the small things in life that we accept and say, God, it's not below me. It's what you planned for me. I'm willing to do it. I want God to smite my heart if anything I'm ever doing ends up on any of those lists that God says, don't do it. That's a dark, dark place to be. That's a place you don't want to go to. That's in full view of the hatred of a God who created everything that cares about the smallest of existence. He's going to pay attention to those small things in our life as well. Just like the ant, I want to store up the right things. In my heart, I want to love, I want to love for God and His ways to be in my heart. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 20 says, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, where thieves, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. You have to put the right things in the right places. The Bible tells us trust in Him. Lean not unto our own understanding. We'll read that verse of Scripture here in a little bit. But God does something beautiful in your life. And what beautiful part about it, when you allow God to work in your life, guess what it is? It's enrichment. It's enrichment. Our humanity likes to apply this definition The process of making someone wealthy or wealthier. That's how we like to apply enrichment. But that's not what God does. We know what the Bible says about this prosperity doctrine. We don't need to go down that rabbit trail. But this is what God does with enrichment. God instead chooses this. The action of improving or enhancing the quality of value of something. The reason God wants to be in your life is to give you value. There's a difference between perceived value and applied value. One example could be a perceived value, the value a customer sees the value as the customer sees the value or benefit. And then the applied value is the value the seller applies or the purchaser applies to the product and is willing to pay. So you have two different perspectives. We've all done this, went in to purchase a vehicle. And you're like, this thing is worth $50,000. All right, sir, we'll give you an offer. And they sit there and waste hours of your time. And they come back and they say, here's your your four square. Let's work through this. And you're like, man, you know, we went through and looked at the papers, and all we could give you is $1,200. I'm sorry, to take it or leave it. Your value and their values don't align. You see, from the perspective of someone trying to buy to make money, they're doing it to benefit them. And so they want to diminish the value of your vehicle in such a way that they their strategy pays off. They buy it for 20,000, turn around and sell it for 30. And they do that over and over and over and over and all of a sudden their wealth, their banks, it's all growing. And increasing. But yet you walk out with a car two days later you're not happy with because you realize you're upside down and your payments are X amount of dollars and you're like, I've got 10 years to pay this thing off. And you feel under pressure. But see, God does something different. He says, if you will give me everything, you're all. And when we look at it, we're like, it's nothing. I can't go to anyone else and say, take the heart of Douglas Goff and do something with it. Everybody says, I'm sorry, we're not interested. We, we don't deal with those kind of things. That's not our expertise. Maybe, maybe go across town to this person. I've heard they've done something and worked out a deal before. Why don't you take it over to them? But when we do this with God, he says, I've been waiting for this deal. Because I have something reserved just for you. It's got your name on it. If you give me everything, I've got something, and here's what it is. And it's only his hands that can hold it. Our heart can barely contain it. We can't even fathom it in our mind on how good this deal is. This new beginning that he wants to give us, and we're sitting there saying, this cannot be true. You mean I can lay my head down at night and not cry myself to sleep from shame? You mean I can stop worrying about those dreams and those terrors that torment me at night and I don't have to worry about them anymore? You mean that I can look people in the eye and have some dignity about myself? You mean I can actually feel like a human and not worry about how people are judging me on my past? You mean He will give me that? For this, you can have it. Any day, you can have it. But yet we go back in our nature, we pick those things up because we see value in something that God says, don't worry about it. It doesn't mean anything. What I've given you is so much greater. We have to be willing to wait and not get bored with waiting and start to pick up the things that we shouldn't. And next thing we know, we, God gave us this, but then we're willing to reach down and grab this and say, oh, look, it's not even been used. Or maybe it has. No, we're good. It's never been used. But it's not like this at all. God wants us to have something pure and clean and holy. We have to be willing to wait and hold that precious thing In our hands and it does not mean do nothing do not take that from this lesson this morning it means walk in truth learn the lessons grow in him and he puts his hand upon our hand and he says this is how you cut this is how you beat down your demons in your life this is how you sleep at night this is how you ignore the voices that try to destroy you every day this is how you find peace it's because his hand Is helping us cut. He's the one that turns that world that tries to destroy us into a trash heap. And says, don't even think about it. They're running their mouth, but don't even think about it. Just keep right on walking. You see the value of the buyer. He's already set the price for each and every one of us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 20, for ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You see, we are not God's. We are God's children. And through the sacrifice of the fleshly form of Jesus Christ, coming down and sacrificing himself upon Calvary, paying that ultimate price. God robed himself in flesh and paid the price so that we, we can be bought with that very same price and say, listen, I paid it all. You see, Jeremiah, he was called. In Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 4, it says, Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Before I formed thee, In the belly I knew thee, and there and before thou camest forth out of the womb I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. You see, God knows exactly what He wants out of your life, Brother Jaheem. He has it all planned out. It's about our ability to wait and to walk through the doors that He opens. We have to be willing. God does not have to destroy or damage you in order to find worth in you. Instead, you have to see that you are worth dying for. You see, we carry so many decisions and we tell ourselves the yes and no internally. We govern our lives every day, even in this very moment as these words are coming forth this morning, you own the yes or no. Will I listen or not? Will I obey or not? Will I and you could go on down the line. We are the ones making the decisions. We must believe in the value that God has applied to us. And we must understand, even though it blows our mind, we cannot comprehend it, but we are worth saving. Because he paid the price. We find that worth through finding him. And how do we know? It's because when you appreciate what he hands you, And you say, wow, I never knew anyone could ever do this for me. I never knew something so precious would be afforded to me by a God who I thought didn't even know who I was. But The prophet Jeremiah said, he told me, before I formed you in the womb, Jeremiah, you're going to be a prophet. That does not stop at just old Jeremiah because God knows who you are. He knows what valley you're going through. He knows what trial you're going through. It takes more than singing about it. And thank you, Brother Nelson, for leading in the worship this morning. It takes more than singing about it. That weight means I'm trusting in those words. I'm applying those words. I'm not just going through that singing songful motion. The reason God's spirit moves is because people were tapping in and saying, he's right, this is right, I'm in it right now. I feel his presence. Just like it was when we began to read as the start of this lesson, we began to read the scriptures of the 23rd Psalm. And I can take you back in my memory, going back, I can't remember how many years ago, traveling for work, and had a sickness hit me, and all I could do, middle of the night, I thought my parents were up, I called them, I said, pray. And I began to read the 23rd Psalm because something was upon me. And they the voices began to fill my hotel room as my parents began to pray in the power of the Holy Ghost. And I read the 23rd Psalm. That's where my mind went this morning when I read the text. And God's presence stepped in, and then my voice began to get stronger. And I began to pray, and the Holy Ghost began to flow, and I began to feel his presence. And when it was all said and done, I looked over, and it felt like my hotel door had a gap this big underneath it. I'm like, I don't care who walked by, they heard some prayer going on in this hotel. I needed to touch him. Those words have to mean something. It's not that inspirational thing on the wall. It's what's etched in your heart and your mind. When he speaks, it hearkens you back and say, God, you did it again. Right. And you'll keep doing it if I'll learn how to wait and accept those new things. In 2 Corinthians, God talks to us about the trade. Trade that God is asking for is out of this world. You see, as I've already said, I got the very best of the trade. There's nothing else that compares to what God has promised us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Now, I have some of my children here today. Some of them have had hand-me-downs. Janessa, you've consumed hand-me-downs from Haley. Kaiser, you haven't had hand-me-downs from any of them, thankfully. He's getting some hand-me-downs from me. He's like, man, I need some new shoes, son. I got a brand new pair of shoes sitting on my shelf. You can wear them. That's all it takes. I can hand them down to him. He's starting to outgrow me. We went to take pictures while we're down there doing the graduation in Tulsa. And he said, oh, let's do a family picture. So he always has to stand next to me so he can show me that he's taller than I am now. (laughs) But there's pictures that we've taken over the years. As he's got closer, Daddy just keeps doing this. And he never notices. We're down in Tulsa, and he's like, all right, let's take a picture. And we all get the family there at the front of the church, and Got our cap and gown on, feeling like a swollen tick, sitting there, and he comes up next to me, and I just, all right, let's take a picture. He caught on to me. He knows my tricks. He's taller than me now, and I'm probably going to start inheriting things from him eventually. I don't know. Better not be anything. It won't fit, buddy. You have your own underwear. (laughs) You can have my shoes. You can have my ties. Stops there. Praise God. Brother, if you only had sons, you would understand what I'm talking about. Dear Lord, I'll preserve his dignity today. Won't talk about the bedroom. We'll just leave that alone. Actually, it smelled good this morning when I went in to tie my tie. I appreciate that, son. But God doesn't give us hand-me-downs. He doesn't give us things that have no value that you have to try to find value in and say, well, waistband's stretched out of it, and elastic's gone, turned to powder, I guess I'll wear suspenders with them. But God gives you things that are new and fresh. That's your life. You know that feeling when you put on a brand new pair of socks and they just hug your foot and you're like, oh, yeah. And they're white, and you just feel like you're walking on clouds. And you're like, man, this is the life. This is great. It's almost like when you were a kid. You're laying in bed. And you went to sleep, have your PJs on, and mom or dad comes in to wake you up. And they go to wake you up, and they pull, as a, as a man, you'd understand, as they pull your pant legs all the way down to your feet, and you stretch. You're like, oh, man, there's nothing better. What a way, a capstone for a night. After they've been up here around your leg and you're so uncomfortable and, and they pull and you stretch, you're like, oh, this is great. You ladies may never know what that's like, but it's a wonderful feeling. It's a child you're laying there and they're patting you on the back and, all right, time to wake up. But God gives us things that are so new and fresh, we can't even comprehend them when he gives them to us. That's why we have this Manual. It helps us understand the new. It helps us understand truly what we have in our life. This helps us live and say, oh, this is what he did for them. And you know what? He's going to do the same for me. And you could just go on time after time, verse after verse. You see in Psalms chapter 18. I'm sorry, in 1 in Corinthians chapter seven. In verse 23, it says, "Ye are bought with a price. Be not, be not ye the servants of men. We don't need to go back to those things that's held us in captivity. We owe them nothing. We owe the old man of sin absolutely nothing. Stop trying to have a conscience about people that destroyed your life. Here's what you owe them, the good news. Not to go rehash your old man, but the good news. That's all you have to talk to them about. It's not about, yeah, I used to, or yeah, you had a good point back then, or yeah, this kind of makes sense now that I think about it. No, no, no. Don't entertain their thoughts. Don't entertain their words because God wants you to focus on him. Learn how to wait patiently, growing and being mature in him. And then that strength comes in. And you're a witness. You're a soul winner. You're able to give strength to others. In Psalms chapter 18 and verse 32, it is God that girdeth me with strength and maketh my way perfect. He maketh my feet like hinds feet and setteth me upon high places. No one wants to go back to those places that haunt them. No one wants to go back to those places that, that they were in fearful, afraid of, and they're like, no, I can't wait to get out of here. This place gives me the creeps. It's something that I don't want to be by. That's what your spirit should do. You should never feel comfortable in this world. You should never feel comfortable going back to your old haunts. You should never feel comfortable hearing people say the same things and you say, you know what? I've been here before. I'm not going to entertain this conversation. That doesn't mean you have to be hateful. You have to say, listen, guess what? I don't care about that. It seems harsh, may seem abrupt, non-caring. Maybe, maybe the more political thing to say is, I have no preference. I don't want to get involved in that conversation. But you see, that, that position you took back then is what got you, what God had to pull you out of because you had no preference. You need to have maturity and a preference. If it's not God's ways, I'm not interested. If it's not His way, if He's not trying to pull me towards Him, I'm not going to listen to the lies of this world. You have to have a preference. It's not vanilla everywhere and everything is just clear and transparent and, and there's no position to take and there is no wrong answer. But God gives new beginnings, and those new beginnings have definition. They have constraints. They have terms and conditions. You have to abide by His way in order for you to have that new beginning. You can't make them up on your own. No one wants to go back to those bad decisions in life. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, it says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, we read this earlier, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Why go pick them up? Why turn around and go pick them up? Why go back to something and pick it back up? Because it'll stain you and you'll turn into this. And you're like, I thought I had something so new and fresh, so clean. It's got to be here somewhere, and you realize it has absolutely nothing with what God gave me. God wants to give you that purity of heart, and you maintain it. You hold to it. It's His strength that you need. It's when His hand lands on yours, and you have the power to overcome. When God does a work, He makes all things new. And from our text, we find a common response by those that do not understand what God has done for you. You see, in Psalms chapter 23, it's extremely popular to read and memorize. It's an easy passage to find due to its popularity. But it's something that we must learn, and that's the lesson. That when you learn in those times when he provides for us, when he restores the soul, He leads me in paths of righteousness. When you look at this, restores my soul. It means to turn back. And it's not necessarily turn back to your starting point. It's a change of direction. He restores my soul. He puts me on a path of his righteousness he puts me on a path of rightness with God because his namesake is hanging on it. Because if he restores my soul and he puts me on a desolate island and leads me to destroy myself once again, his name will be tarnished. It's a promise that if I'm willing to align with the rightness with God, it's a seal of authority that he will put upon me and say, listen, you've been bought with a price. He restoreth my soul. See, God will take you from a direction that you're going and give you that new direction. He doesn't mean that he's going to take you back to the very beginning of that decision of yes or no, left or right. He's going to set you on a new path of rightness with him. He restoreth My soul, meaning God gives you life again. He gives you that new beginning. And you begin to sit there and say, from this point forward, I'm yours, God. I'm not turning back. I'm not going to the left or to the right. I'm walking in you, in your ways. You see, none of this is a pipe dream. This is a promise. None of this is just for a few. It's for all. It doesn't matter your class of life, your background, where you came from, how you got here. It's for you today. It's not something that only the elect can achieve. If you're willing to walk in the rightness with God, He gives it to you. It is because He restores my soul. He sets me on a new direction. I'm on that new path. I'm at the place of seeking after and attaining to God's righteousness. Meaning that when I let God decide the best path forward, by default, he will place me in a direction that pleases him. Not necessarily me, but him. You see, being right with God is a treasure. The world will try to talk you out of that treasure. They'll say things like, I thought you said, and you don't have to do that anymore, and you told me, and remember when you said, and Remember what happened back then and we did this together and they'll try to talk you out of a treasure because they don't have it. They're jealous. but God wants you to hold that treasure and show them how to get it. God wants you to hold to that which is most valuable in your life and say, you know what? I used to do that. I'm not above it anymore. It's only by the grace of God. His strength. There's a verse of scripture that talks about God knowing me from the very beginning and brought me, it was through His grace. From the very beginning of time, He knew exactly who you were. And it was His grace that was planned for you to have the strength to go through every trial that could ever be in front of you. His strength that we must lean on. It is because He restores. My soul. In Job chapter 33, in verse 30, to come back, to bring back his soul from the pit, to be enlightened with the light of the living. I invite you, let God lead you today. Let God lead you today. Stop trying to get so caught up in the theatrics of flying on the back of an eagle and pass the lesson where you're waiting and let God reach down into your life. And you'll say, well, I'll just let whatever happens with life. I've given all I can and God hasn't done it and you've stopped waiting the right way. You have to have scriptures like this when it says, From the end of the earth will I cry unto thee. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. It doesn't matter how low life is, how far you've been beaten down, God wants you to just reach to him. Let me tell you this. If you had access to peace, love, joy, happiness, fulfillment, you would already have them if you could do it on your own. You can't get it unless you go through Him. You have to lean on Him. We already read it. Lean not unto thine own understanding, but in all thy ways acknowledge Him. And He shall direct thy paths. It doesn't matter where your life is at this morning. God has a plan. You see, God's Word gives clear instruction on how to access the strength we need to overcome. You may say, Brother Goff, do you even know who you're talking to this morning? I don't, but I know God is talking to someone. I'm going to go through some very basic things. I told Xander, he's not up here, I told Xander yesterday, I said, son, he was throwing a a ball to me and it was dark and there was a stairway. I said, son, if you throw that ball to that stairway and I break my leg, you're going to preach in the morning. He goes, well, daddy, all I know to preach is Acts 2.38. I said, son, you're exactly right. That's where you need to end up. Because it all hinges on finding your way to Jesus Christ. We struggle with this after we find him. It seems like we close the Rand McNally printed book and put it in the glove box and it bleaches away in the sun and it curls up and mice eat it after you park your car and you're like, I don't need that. No. If you can't find God this morning, if you can't feel him, God has a path for you to feel him. John chapter 7 and verse 38, he that believeth on me As the scripture have said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. If it's just a trickle, if it's just a slight slosh, God wants the rivers of life to flow in your life this morning. If you need that new beginning, that fresh start, Jesus is the answer to your situation. It's believing that Jesus is the answer to your problems and that you are willing to serve him and follow after him. It's more than just believing. You have to be willing in that waiting process. This is your waiting moment. God, I come to you and you alone. You are the answer for my situation. I come in obedience to your word. God, I'm all yours. If you can't come to God with that attitude, then you're holding something back. And God wants all of us. You see, the trade is, you give me all of you, I'll give you all of me. Those treasures in heaven. Every prayer we pray. Every time we're faithful to the house of God. Every Bible study you teach. Every time you get up and pray. Every time you read your Bible, you're putting back those treasures in heaven. Same God. This harvest means more than me to me than anything in life. You can't find it on your own. Otherwise, you would already have it. Our sinful nature leads us down a path of heartache, and it breaks my heart. Even writing that very note in my notes and just thinking of it, hearing how hard lives are, how bad life is, I am truly, truly blessed, truly blessed. I didn't have everything handed to me on a silver spoon, but I had truth handed to me as a baby, dedicated to God, laying on a pillow, and the man of God laying his hand on me and saying, listen, God's got a plan for you, mom and dad. This young boy needs to be raised in church. You need to raise your children right. There's a responsibility. It's upon your shoulders. Someone told me the other day at a baby dedication, they said the pastor pulled out a nail that was bent. And he says, your yes or no actions will never straighten this nail back up. It's straight, keep it straight. Once you bend that nail, you'll never get it back perfectly straight. You may flip it over on the other side and smack it flat, but it's always going to have that memory. And those children remember Remember when mom and daddy did this? Yeah, that made a mark on me. We have this responsibility, church. We are that light that shines in darkness around us. God has a path for each and every one of us. And when we run into heartache, it's not to look down. And it's not to tell anybody else about it. It's for you to go in prayer. If they had enough confidence to come talk to you, the next step is? Talk to him. That talking to no one else is going to help anything. Talk to him. Help them find that place. All I can tell you is follow Jesus. You see, he instructed his disciples in Luke chapter 24, had to point everyone else that they preached to. He gave them the foundation, every message. I want you to go and I want you to preach this, this, and this. And that's exactly what they did. They preached the gospel message everywhere they went. A message of hope, a message of new beginnings. The book of Acts is documented with it. This beautiful, soul-saving message. In Acts chapter 2, it says in verse 37, And now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all those that are far off even as many as the Lord our God shall call. It's available for everybody here today. Every door we went to yesterday with outreach, every flyer that was handed, every conversation that was made, it was for those People, everyone that you're going to walk up to and invite to church, you would not believe how receptive people were to an invitation to church yesterday. Blew my mind. People sitting there acting like their world was at the darkest place they didn't want, just scowling at you from the front porch, walked by and said, would you mind if I gave you an invitation to church? And they got up out of their chair And I said, if you don't mind, I'll walk in your yard and walk over and give them and say, thank you. Talking to, walking past a house down by the park. What's the park that we went to? Another one on the side of Walnut, one we always go to. Fairview, Fairview, down by Fairview Park, not far from it. I know that house has been hit time after time after time. We're walking by, we had just a handful left. Walk by and see a young child sitting there, maybe... Eight or nine, I'm like, I'm going to be very careful here. They had no trespassing signs. And I had Janessa and London with me, and we're walking, and I said, good morning. And they said, good morning, had their dog sitting there with them on a leash, and I just kind of kept walking. I'm like, I'm not going to force this issue. They have all the no trespassing signs. It's a child sitting out there on the front porch, delicate situation. Just see what happens. Kept walking, and all of a sudden, I hear someone say, what are you guys doing today? Well, as a matter of fact, we're inviting everybody to come to church with us. And I turn and look, and there's a gentleman walking across the street saying, you know, it's not proper to go talk and approach a child without their parent present. And I said, all I said was, good morning. And his demeanor totally changed. He says, you know what? My grandmother was the first black um, member voted on the school board in Olathe. You know what my grandfather was? He was the first black uh, member of the school board in Olathe for the male and female. You know that church down the street that's down by uh, the park? He goes, my family started that one. I said, what about the one across the street, the octagon shake? He says, that one too. I said, so what about the one I just drove past on the way up here on Walnut? He goes, that's my uncle's church. And his daughter goes, do you baptize? No, I'm sorry. He says, do you baptize? I said, yes, we do. And we do it through immersion. He says, "Really?" He goes, "I grew up evangelical." He goes, "And all these people around me are from family, and we started churches, and we helped establish Olathe." He goes, "You can go, and you can find my family being talked about." I said, "Really?" And his daughter goes, "I want to be baptized." And the father says, "Well, hold on, hold on, let's." And he kind of changed the subject. But all that started with was, "Good morning." good morning. I didn't do anything special, just good morning. God has a plan for you, your impact on this world. And I can tell you this, it's not getting the high performance reviews at work. It's not all the things of life. It's for you. It made my day to tell somebody, good morning. And in turn, it opened up a door to talk about Jesus Christ. Tell them where we're at, the church services we're having. And share the gospel. That's what it all came down to. But I had to go somewhere first before I could do anything. I had to go to a place of repentance. Because Jesus asked that when you're sorry and you want his help, That we pray and ask him to forgive us of all of our sins. You see, here's the beautiful thing about repentance. I don't need to hear one word you say. You don't have to confess that to one person. No one else has to hear that conversation between you and God. That is between and how thorough your repentance is, is between you and God. But the rest of the process will tell us, everybody else, how thorough your repentance really is. The very next step is baptism. Baptism, after you've repented of your sins and made a commitment that you've turned your life over to Him and will no longer seek after sinful things of this world. This is a huge commitment. This is a commitment that, you know what, not the whole world will be able to obtain this. We are blessed individuals that God has given us an opportunity that we can go and walk up a set of stairs and go down in the water and be baptized in Jesus' name. The sins are forever washed away through baptism. And then after all of that, God's approval, the proof, is He fills you with the Holy Ghost. It's His evidence of speaking in tongues. God proves that He has a right To live there you know what he does it's the key it's the key how do I know if a police officer walks up to me as I'm walking up to my house my front door and he says sir do you have permission to be there I can pull out and say I have the key you know what the key is it's repentance and repentance being baptized in Jesus name and the infilling of the Holy Ghost that's the key it's when you repent you're saying God every door Every cupboard, every room, every space is yours. You have a key to everything in my life. And you don't have to spill it out for everybody else to know. That's the beauty of it. He says, cast your cares upon me. Not upon your preacher. Not upon your brother or your sister. He says, cast them upon me. And the proof is the infilling of the Holy Ghost. No one can teach you how to speak in tongues. You can't mimic anybody. You can't say, well, I'll just do what they say so they'll leave me alone. I promise you, if you're not speaking in tongues as the Spirit gives the utterance, you're settling for something so far less, it's not even on the same spectrum. Feeling the peace and the love of God swoop over you, and you feel just that warmth of the Holy Ghost, and you say, this is what they're talking about. This is what was prophesied. This is why they live this way. This is what was preached about. God wants each and every one of us to experience Him in a new way this morning. As the musicians come, I want to close with this. I invite every one of us to find a place to pray as we stand this morning and weigh your place with God. How well are you waiting? Does it seem like things have gone stagnant and dry? God wants to put living waters back again in your soul. He wants you to feel him in such a way that you say, God, don't ever take this from me again. Whatever it is, whatever path I went down, I want to be right with you I invite each and every one of us to come and find a place to pray and ask God to give us the strength that only He can give this morning as we come and find a place. If you want to pray at your pew, you feel more comfortable there. I have no problem with it. But God wants to hear your voice this morning. And saints of God, can we find us a place to pray this morning and speak to Him?